could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we have a special guest joining us as well. Resident draft expert, Carvel Teft, a friend of the show. We've had him on before and wanted to bring him on today to ask and answer some of the biggest questions we have about the upcoming NBA draft. Now, we haven't been able to do as much draft preview content as we normally would like to just because the season obviously went so long. The offseason is so accelerated right now, but we're getting it done right now. Just a couple days ago, Logan and I were featured on a college basketball podcast, Heat Check, which is hosted by Gabe Swartz and Peyton T. Gallagher, other friends of the show who we've had on times before. And we talked about the draft there, answer some of the questions that Gabe had for us. So you can listen to that as sort of a primer if you want for this one, because we got some of the basic stuff out there. And now we'll get to go a little bit deeper today. So first off, Carvel, pleasure to have you on as always. I know you've been working on a big board, and that's part of the reason we've brought you on is you have that expertise. How many names deep have you gotten with that? Um, I'm like 35 names deep. I don't really put that much stock into anything after 30 because mm-hmm. you're throwing stones there at that point. There's so many guys that like the real professionals are evaluating 150 dudes, and you yeah. never know if that 150th dude that you just don't have the time to watch the tape on could be your 31st guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think my top 30 guys, I've, I've watched full games, at least a full game of all their tape, um, go through and try to, try to get as much information as possible. So I feel pretty confident about 30. All right. Well, let's start at the top of this draft because Logan and I had a bit of disagreement as far as how the consensus top four in this class shakes out among our personal rankings. So first thing... I think we should do is everybody go around and give your hierarchy of the general consensus top four, that being Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. I'll go first. I am a huge believer in Evan Mobley. As I've said before, I think he has the tools to be good at just about everything on the basketball court and very great in some respects. I would say that to me, he is the safest pick of the bunch. I would take him first. I think Kate is a generational perimeter creator talent. I would have him second. I think Jalen Green is a phenomenal scoring prospect, one of the best we've seen in quite some time. I'd have him third. And then Jalen Suggs, I'd have fourth. I just don't quite see the same superstar ceiling for him. Logan, how do you see that top four? So, uh, you know, as we discussed on uh, the Heat Check pod, which I uh, implore all of our audience to check out, uh, loads of fun. It was a blast. Um, Cade is my number one. I just don't think general, I just don't think talents like this come around in a – He's a once-in-a-lifetime prospect, bruh. And I I will always prefer going offense over defense, even though I do think Mobley has the potential to be one of the all-time greats in the NBA. Number three, I told you uh, on the show, I'm a big Jalen Suggs guy. I just – I do do think the D-Rose comparison is apt, Carson. I know you think I'm crazy for that. Um, I think Suggs has got a massive ceiling, and I like him more than Jalen Green now just because I think he's a better playmaker at this stage. And I don't have Jalen Green fourth, bruh. Call me crazy, Carson. I think he's a great scorer right now. I have Scotty Barnes at four just because I think he's a little more like, I just think he's more solid. I think he's just a safer bet at this point, And I'd rather go with a safer defensive playmaking big with room to grow green. I just feel his game is so predicated on athleticism, man. I just think one injury could do him in. And uh, I like Barnes as just a safer pick. Uh, Carvel, do you think I'm crazy? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're a little bit crazy. <laughs> um, 
I mean, it's a phenomenal top five, no matter how, you know. So you're not going to be embarrassed on any of these takes regardless, because I think all those five guys are going to be really good NBA players. I lean towards there being a different tier with the top three guys and Kate, Jalen Green, and Mobley, which is kind of like an all-NBA tier for me. And then it drops off to more like an all-star, maybe an all-NBA appearance with your Scotty Barnes and Jalen Suggs. I go Cade first, I go Jalen second, and I go Mobley third. I think they're all going to be incredible, incredible players. My thing is Mobley might be – I agree with Carson. I think Mobley's probably the safest pick, and he might be the better player of the bunch. But if we're talking about ceilings, let's say Mobley's ceiling is AD. People like to call AD. He's not going to be as good as AD. But maybe, you know, maybe that's his absolute 100% ceiling. There yeah. are – a lot more perimeter players that I could name that I would rather have if I wanted to win a championship than there are players that I would say are better players than Anthony Davis. So for me, even if Mobley's a better player, I just, if you're not a perimeter creator like Anthony Davis, I'm taking Cunningham and green, even if they're not as safe green, especially. Um, but with Cunningham, if you can get in the elite perimeter creator, that's just what wins the NBA championship these days. We're looking at, you know, the Phoenix suns, they had, two guys that probably aren't top 10 players in the NBA, but they're elite perimeter creators. Their best player would have been an elite perimeter creator. The last 10 years of championships, maybe the 2014 Spurs uh, excluded, everyone's an elite perimeter creator. Whether it's Giannis and you don't have the jump shot, but you're still creating from the perimeter, the drive and dish game, or if you're just a traditional perimeter creator, KD, whatever it is. So based on that value, the current value of players in the NBA, I'm going Cunningham and Green. Um, and then I have Mobley, who I think is going to be fantastic. And I agree with um, Logan. I have Scotty Barnes in my top four. I would have Scotty Barnes above Jalen Suggs. But I really like Suggs, too. He's, he's a five for me. So I think that you make a fair point there, Carvel. And I think that that is generally a rational stance to take in favoring the dominant perimeter creator over the dominant interior player, particularly if it's a guy who's oriented on the defensive end, which is where I think – Mobley should be great on both ends, but the defense to me seems to be more of a sure thing. I do think, though, there is immense value in a guy who can be up there for best defensive player on the planet with a high level of versatility and then also give you 20 a game offensively in a variety of ways, create for others out of the post, off the short roll in DHOs. Like, I just believe that he has that real superstar ceiling. And I think that he could be better than AD because I think he can do more things well than AD. Like maybe he doesn't have the same insane athletic peak that Anthony Davis does. But I think that as far as skill development goes, he's so much further along processing and understanding the game offensively, the shooting touch, all of that to me is better than AD. And I think that he's the best prospect in my eyes. I would say that I've ever seen because, you know, I was 11 years old when AD was coming out. And I would say beyond that, since AD, a lot of people would say, well, Zion was in that stretch and fair enough. Zion clearly has proven how otherworldly he was. I just didn't see him in that same respect at that time. I'll ask you two then who have Cade at the top. Who do you think was the last draft prospect as good and as compelling to you as Cade Cunningham is right now? Um, it's hard to say because Carson and I both weren't that high on Zion. So, you know, in hindsight, obviously you want to say Zion. Um, but, I mean, this is going to be a ridiculous answer, but I guess I'll just give the truthful answer. It would probably be Fultz. Um, mm. Markel would probably mm -hmm. be my guy. And I think Fultz is kind of comparable to Cunningham in the, uh, the separation departments, the way they play with pace, the way they can play out of the pick and roll, the way they can get their shot off anywhere. But Cade's bigger. 
and he's even more tantalizing. He plays defense. So if it was – and he's longer. Um, so I, I think Fultz was the last guy that I was like, this guy's going to go number one. This guy's going to be all NBA. This guy's going to be a great printer creator. Um, but Zion obviously is it was just phenomenal, and I missed there. Yeah, I'd pick I'd pick a guy from that same draft class. Uh, I was higher on Jason Tatum. Uh, I feel like in that draft, um, I thought he was the guy, and maybe before that, I wasn't that high on Zion either. I didn't expect this ever out of him. So I'd say the last three guys maybe are Simmons, Ingram, and Tatum. Like mm-hmm. those are the three guys I can remember being just genuinely tantalized uh, by in the same way I am as Kate. Like I think. I still do. Maybe not Ben Simmons anymore, but with B.I., uh, maybe not B.I. anymore. I still believe Tatum's a guy who can be a number one, but I for sure think Cunningham's a guy who can lead a entire team on both ends to a, uh, to a championship. I think I probably like Cade more than all the guys who you both just mentioned, which is crazy because he's not my top guy in this class. Like, I think that says much more about how much I love Mobile because I don't really have very many questions at all about Cade being a star to me it's is he going to be a star or is he going to be a transcendent superstar like the floor is still pretty darn high for him as it is for Mobley Jalen Green though does seem to be a little bit more divisive here Logan I know that you threw out a Malik Monk comparison when we were on heat check which as much as I love Malik I find to be a bit offensive Carvel you are as far as your board goes the highest on green out of the group here but I will say I think he is the best scoring prospect we've seen since Brandon Ingram. What do you think about that? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to look into it a little. I mean, all, then we're going back to the Zion thing, which is yeah. like, yeah, he, he came into – I mean, right. he, no one scored coming into the league like that in the 21st right. century. He, that's ridiculous what Zion did. But, yeah, I just think Jalen's a bet to score over 25 points per game at some mm-hmm. point in his career. How he does it, if he does it more in a Zach Levine manner or in a more productive Devin Booker, whatever, whatever notable guard that uh, has a winning skill set, you could say that that's that's his swing right there. But for me, he's just his skill set's insane. He finishes. He reminds me a lot of John Morant at the rim. Mm. He's like that weird combination of flexibility and power at the rim where jaw it just gets there and there's so much power going up, but they can also adjust three times in the air, bounce off bodies. They have both those skinny frames and just a lot of wiggle with power, which is one of the most just, it's one of the most fun things to watch in the league. Um, and then obviously jaw sets himself apart from the pack with the passing for Jalen. I think it's going to be the perimeter shot creation, um, which is more, I, I think it's going to be easier for him to develop some peripheral passing skills and, passing vision than it would be for a player like John Morant to get his skill set, which is why I'm so high on it because John Morant's a great player. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've competently evaluated a scoring prospect as, mm-hmm. as good as Jalen Green. I think Jalen Green's going to lead, lead the league in scoring and I would probably put money on that. It's just it, it, to be 19 years old and where he is, is, is not fair. His skill set's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He could be averaging over 20 for, you know, his second year in the season to his 18th year in the season. That's the type of player he is. Yeah, I frankly don't really see how he's not Zach Levine. Like, the combination of otherworldly athleticism, and you mentioned just how acrobatic he is at the rim and how good he is finishing in traffic. Like, to me, it's going to be tough to stop him from getting to the bucket because of how quick he is 
in not necessarily just the first step, but just as a dynamic driver. And then once he gets there, it's going to be tough to stop him from finishing. And I just think the shot maybe wasn't always insanely consistent, but I'm a believer in his shot and the ability to create those looks from the perimeter with step backs, with a really advanced handle, all of that super promising. And he does stuff off the ball too. Like he's a lob threat at times. He can be that explosive cutter because he just gets up there. And I agree with you when it comes to the playmaking. I think that he's already trending in the right direction there. And we know that this is what happens with guys more and more in today's NBA is if you have that dynamic skill set as a bucket getter from the perimeter, if you're at least competent as a playmaker, then teams are going to put the ball in your hands as much as they can so you can continue to develop there. And I believe that Jalen Green can do that. So I agree with you. The question is, will he be the most winning player or not? But I have zero doubts in my mind about him getting buckets at a phenomenally high level. Nothing about his, like uh, you guys mentioned his slight frame. I'd say he's uh, lacking in the two-way department because of his defensive ceiling. Like do either of those things concern you at all when evaluating Jalen? I don't think his defensive ceiling is low. I would argue he needs to be more consistently productive on defense, but that's true for a ton of 19-year-olds. Like I don't think... He'll necessarily be an all-defense caliber guy, but I think as far as areas in which a guy can improve, if you're going to tell me, okay, he needs to get a little bigger and stronger, I'd say, okay, I'd say the exact same thing about Evan Mobley. And if you say he needs to lock in more consistently on defense, I'd say, okay, you can say that about a ton of guys in the draft. So those to me are not like primary limiting red flag factors. Yeah, and he just, you know, sometimes you have to take whatever character you can get from these guys, which is, all so high for Jalen Green. Everybody says he just eats, sleeps basketball. So, mm. you know, I, that's why I look at him like a guy like Devin Booker. It's just all these, you know, so-called weaknesses are just – if you're going to tell me that this dude is not going to be able to pass at a competent level for a two-guard, I'm just not mm-hmm. going to believe – he's a hooper. Like, he can get himself to force this game. He's just going to be able to do it. And then the defense, like, dude, he's one of the most ridiculous athletes we've ever seen. And he is clearly ridiculously committed to the game. Where You just can't tell me that he's not going to be able to lock in. You know, and obviously, this stuff's context-dependent. There could be just the worst possible situation, whatever it is, injuries, whatever. But I, I'm taking my bet on him. I think he's going to be an All-NBA player. I, I, I'm not worried about the frame. I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about the shot such. I'm not worried about the playmaking. Yeah, I agree. And I think you made a great point about just how people speak about him. That's always the factor of player assessment that we miss out on sitting here at home doing a podcast instead of actually interviewing these guys. And it's a huge part is you select characters and individuals who you believe in. But I agree, based on the limited information that we have about Jalen Green, he's a guy who's committed to improving across the board. And that just bodes well for his development and avoiding those potential pitfalls in his game. Let's talk about Jalen Suggs here. Because Logan did throw out the Derrick Rose comparison, as bold as it may have been. Carvel, are you with me? I mean, you have Suggs even lower than I do at five on your board in questioning to a certain extent his superstar ceiling, even though I do think he'll be a very good NBA player. Yeah, no, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I think, you know, I see a lot of Lonzo Ball in him sometimes Mm. with the way people talk about him, not with how he plays. Because everyone with Lonzo, the first thing you'd hear is like, winning guy, right play, whatever these things. And when I'm drafting a guy, the first thing I want to hear is, you know, lead perimeter creator, mm-hmm. pick and roll lead guy, defensive menace, whatever it is. With well, the things, the keywords we're talking about with Cade, Jalen, and Mobley first. 
So when you tell me a guy that is playing with multiple pro players on the best team, some people were calling it the best team ever, in a great system with a great coach, is a winning player, I'm going to tell you he was probably in a winning system. So Mm. I like what Suggs has to offer. He got a lot of pick and roll reps. He was good in his pick and roll reps. He was good shooting off the dribble. He plays defense with energy, but he's a little bit older than these guys. He's got almost an even wingspan. He is, he was a football player first, right? And you can kind of see it in this game. He doesn't have that like natural fluidity. He doesn't really like, you you could just tell when you're looking at a guy like Jalen Green and Jalen Suggs, how different they move on the court. So I still have him as like the all-star guy, but I just don't really buy the players that it's like winning impact when they're 19 years old on a college team. Cause then we saw Lonzo come into the league and you know, he's in a bad situation on a bad team. He's not changing anything about that. It doesn't matter that he throws good outlet passes and can, you know, lead a team and is a pass first guy. That doesn't matter. Um, so I think for Suggs, if he goes to Toronto, people, the narrative's just going to go on forever, right? Because then he's going to be a good coach, good system, good surrounding talent again, and it's going to be because Jalen Suggs turned it all around. But I think there would be a lot of eye-opening stuff if he went to Cleveland, if he went to Orlando, um, if he went to a situation where he's not going to win right away and people can't just bank on the, oh, he's a winning player. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not too concerned about the, you know, the loose dribble, the, the, the um, lack of length, the lack of shooting. And uh, I don't know. I, I still have him as a fifth guy, but that's where I that's where I am on him right now. And maybe I was a little overzealous, uh, definitely with the uh, with the D Rose, but I think maybe a more apt because you bring up the winning player aspect, and I think that's the big sell on Jalen Suggs. I think immediately in the league, I think he has a Tyrese Halliburton kind of impact, and I think play style wise, that's uh, what you said, Carvel. That's the thing I love about Suggs the most the way he moves the ball around the perimeter, the way he can spot guys cutting all around the floor, like, and all those pick and roll reps. Like I, I trust Suggs as much as a playmaker as anybody in this draft and to make smart high IQ decisions to, yes, I, I, I know it's a cliche. I trust the man to play winning basketball. And I don't know, I guess I'm higher on his ceiling. I like his change in pace. I love his shot off the dribble. I like what I saw from him behind the arc. I loved what I saw defensively. And I think he's a guy who can get up like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a big Suggs guy, but it starts with the playmaking first and foremost. I just think he is one of the smartest floor generals in the class. Can I ask you, do you think early in his career, is he going to be in an on-ball or off-ball? It all depends on where he goes, like, situationally. Like, I don't – I would personally – I'd throw him right into the fire. I think he's ready. I'd have him – I'd run him – I'd have him running my offense off the jump, but it depends. Like, if he goes to Toronto – and Kyle Lowry comes back, do I really want him taking touches from Lowry? Like, it's going to depend more situationally. I wouldn't mind Suggs running my offense from day one, though. Yeah. Yeah, because I just I, – I question the, the on-ball from day one without a shot, without a consistent shot. I just think it could get exposed a little bit. And then, obviously, you know, off-ball, he's, he's not the best shooter. He's a little bit clunky in the half court. He's good at the basket. He's creative, but he's better in transition. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean – you know, when you see these other perimeter creators that don't have those consistent jump shots, you have to have a skill that's pretty crazy to be the lead pick-and-roll ball handler. You have to be the John Morant, like, can get by you anyways, even if you go under the screen. I don't really see that with Sug. So, I think in Toronto, a lot of that can be hidden, and that'll be his best development. But, I don't know. I just – I question some of, the, some of the immediate fits. I think it's complicated with Suggs because – 
I agree with some of the criticisms that you laid out and some of the concerns there, Carvel. And I think that that's the thing is we talk about how that high-end perimeter creator is the most desirable thing right now. But you also have to be really, really good in that role to justify a team actually giving you the keys to the offense. And what I do believe in with Suggs is the playmaking. Like, I think that he has that poise out of the pick and roll. And that, to me, is a major factor in this and something that does make him distinctive from some of the other top guys. And that bodes well, but you're right. If the reliable pull-up three isn't there, he's going to have to get one hell of a floater to keep teams from just playing drop all day. Even then, they'll still play drop, but he'll be able to have something of an answer because as good of an athlete as he is, and he's a very good athlete at 6'4", and he's a nice finisher around the rim, ambidextrous there, he's not Derrick Rose. Like, he is not John Morant. I don't think he's that kind of freak athlete to where he's just going to get to the rim no matter what. And at least not to the extent where that will make him a 20-something point-per-game score. So... I think he's going to be a good basketball player. I do think he does a lot of things well. There's room for some polish. If the shot really becomes reliable, that will take him up another level, in my opinion. But I agree with Carvel and what he said earlier in that there is a bit of a divide to me between the top three and then my fourth guy. And then I guess let's give a little bit of time to the fifth guy here, who for Carvel is number four, but Logan and I would both have in our top five as well, Scotty Barnes, a little bit of a late climber in the scheme of things, and that he was not quite this high on a lot of people boards a little bit earlier in the year. It was generally coming in that fifth spot and then Barnes kind of came up and took it. Carvel, why has that ascent happened? What makes him so appealing to you? Um, yeah, I think, I think the ascent came more from poking holes in Kaminga's game than him rising. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I, people really like Scotty Barnes. People like Scotty Barnes all year. Um, but I don't know if people were satisfied with Kaminga at the five spot. And then that's where the shift started happening. And then you mm -hmm. start comparing the two, um, especially, you know, it's so much easier to buy Scotty Barnes with the mindset stuff. Cause that's, that's such a big part of Kaminga's. He's kind of disengaged. He's a chucker. And then you have Scotty Barnes who just wants to do everything, wants to do everything to help win. But for me, that dude is just such a lock to be a high end starter that I, I, I just have to have him above Kamingo, who's such a question mark. Like, he can play defense one through five, and it's not he can switch one through five. It's he will guard the point guard 90 feet up the court. Will stay with him 90 feet, and if you put the ball in front of him, he'll take it from you. That's pretty unheard of, right? It's not even switchability. It's just who do you want me to guard? Do you want me to guard Steph, or do you want me to guard Andrew Wiggins? I'll do either one. So, for me, that's an insane insane blueprint to to what could be a fantastic player and then you know he's he's got really good playmaking chops for assists a game in college he loves to share the ball the shot looks fine it, it didn't go in as much as he'd want it to go in but like if we're going to compare him to draymond where draymond was as a jump shooter at 19 20 years old to where scotty barnes is right now making over 50 percent of his in these workouts and like all that stuff it's not even close um, I don't like to throw out Draymond comparisons or, you know, th th those type of comparisons just because I think it's weird to compare people to anomalies. But I, I just think Scotty Barnes is a lock to be a high, high-level player, connector on offense who can get his buckets in transition on spot-ups, and then the best the top-five defensive player in the league. Yeah, agreed. I think I – for me, it's all about the defense and, yeah, the playmaking a little bit. I just know he is going to be a guy that you can put on your best offensive player every single game, night in, night out. Like you said, Carvel, he's tall enough. And, like, they list him at 6'7", 
Scotty plays like he's 6'9", 6'10", bro. He's strong. He's got a strong base. He can box out bigs. And he's always hustling. I think that's a huge part of this, man. He is always trying to get his hands on the ball. Whether if he's not in the play or not, like if they dump it into the low post, he's going to try to strip him off rip because he's got long arms enough to make a play at that and then recollect himself if he doesn't get it. He's uh, Scotty's going to be a beast defensively wherever he goes. And then I just think, like you said, if his shot is reliable enough and comes along, I think we could be looking at the best 3 and D player in the class with a bunch of playmaking upside with room to do a lot more. He's big enough to get inside. Barnes is going to be solid off rip, but he may have just as big a ceiling as some of these top three guys, in my opinion. If Scotty really figures out the shot, I think you're looking at a special player. I'm not positive about it. I don't think it's going to be necessarily a massive hindrance to his game, but I also think it could be something of a limiting factor. And I think defensively, obviously a monster. 7-3 wingspan, such an intense competitor there. Held opponents below 33% shooting in college. The guy just loves basketball. He loves competing and is clearly willing to do whatever it takes to win, as both of you said. And he's a freak athlete. I do wonder a bit about his role in half-court offense because to me, his playmaking skill at 6'7", that's really valuable. But how is that utilized most effectively in the half court? Because I don't think he's a primary ball handler type. Right now, you just don't have to respect the shot there. And it's not like he's, to me, going to be primarily used as a role man or a short role decision maker or something. But what do you guys think? What is the role for him on the offensive end to maximize his value? I think he can pretty much do it all. I, hmm. I, I think he's going to be a jack of all trades. I think he can run a pick and roll. Um, uh, he's just one of those, like, you know, it, it's kind of like the Ben, like Ben Simmons still runs pick and rolls. Giannis runs pick and rolls. When you know the drop's coming regardless, if you're six seven with a seven two wingspan and you've been getting to the bucket effectively your whole life, you kind of make it work. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you charge at the drop man, and if you're a good enough playmaker, you make it work. I think he could be a really good role man. Again, I think he can develop into a guy that can hit spot-up threes. I think he can stick him in the corner, and I think if he's wide open, he's going to be able to six, uh, hit spot-up threes. I think he can be, you know, in the dunk. I hate saying that people can be in the dunk spot. Anyone can be in the dunk spot, but he could be in the dunk spot. He could sit in the dunk spot. Um, and, yeah, uh, you know, so I just think – I think he's going to be one of those guys that can kind of do anything at his peak, and uh, I think he's going to be above average at pretty much everything. Yeah, I agree at his peak he can do all that, but I think off rip, I'm probably giving him the Isaac Okoro treatment in the half-court offense. I'm not really trying to give him the rock. Like, I think the biggest thing with me for a guy Scotty's size, I wish he had more of just a post game, just something he could go to, to like just get guys to move or just some sort of resemblant, consistent offense. Like, And I'd say right now his best aspect of his offensive game outside of the playmaking, which again, as you mentioned, Carson, really isn't out of the pick and roll ball handling, it's more just finding and spotting open guys is getting to the rack. Uh, so right now I would have him as probably primarily just a role man. I give him some pick and roll touches during the game, but uh, Scotty is a guy I would probably uh, use my kid gloves on offense uh, with for a while just to open his career. I think that makes sense. And I do agree that he has enough tools to find a role. And so I think he's justified as a top five guy. I think he's a pretty impressive all-around player but I do have some questions about if things go south him finding that role as a really high level offensive player but overall I'll bet on the talent all right so we've addressed the very top of this class let's now look at a sort of key demographic that every team is looking for incessantly in draft and free agency that you need to complete your roster and that is of course the three and d guys so we've got plenty of depth in this class but 
when you're looking at the best three and D guys, Logan, we'll start with you. Who's your favorite out of that group? Scott, you brought up uh, on the heat check show, Carson, that's Trey Murphy. Uh, I don't think there's anybody better off rip just in that role. Now there is a guy I like that's a little more versatile offensively and that's Davion Mitchell, just because he can handle out of the pick and roll. He's a, we've, we've discussed Davion focusing on Trey. I know it's, it's a boring comp because the guy played here. I think DeAndre Hunter is a really apt comparison for Trey Murphy, like a better shooting DeAndre Hunter. He brings all of the same tools defensively. I think he's really switchable. He's got super long arms. He competes on the boards. Uh, Trey's a dog, man. I love watching him play defense. He's not bad on the break either. I think he's a guy who could be um, a really good finisher one day. Right now, though, uh, 90% from the line, 40% from deep. I trust his shot almost maybe as much as Kispert's, but he's a dog defensively. I think Trey Murphy, and we'll get into this later, I don't know, man, for contending teams who have picks up high early like the Warriors, I think Trey Murphy is a really interesting candidate just for win right now, play right now. He's a really valuable asset immediately and uh, just has room to grow. Yeah, I like Trey. Um, he wouldn't be my first guy. He's not really my cup of tea with the three and D guys. He's, you know, he almost shot two times as many threes as he did twos in college. He shot less than three, two point attempts a game. He just, I like a three and D guy that has a pump and go game that has some sort of counter, something like that. At the end of the day, he's 6'9", he competes on defense, and he strokes it. You, you can pretty much get your shot off against anybody. But, you know, we didn't see that much movement shooting from him. We didn't see any counters from him. So, he's young, but he wouldn't be my first guy. I'd probably go in a traditional mold with Moses Moody. Uh, I think he should be a lottery guy. I think he is a guy that you see has a little bit of counter. He has a little bit of mid-range game. He can get to the rack a little bit. He can shoot free throws. And then he's also shown competence with movement threes, which is the biggest deal when you're really weaponizing one of these three and D guys is the movement. So, you know, you can set a down screen, a flare screen for him. He'll shoot it off anything. Um, you know, he's big, he's long, he's going to play defense for you. Uh, my favorite three and D guy that adds a little bit more is probably Jared Butler, who I think is the better Baylor guard. I think he's a lottery guy. I love Jared Butler. He does everything for you. Um, he is wet from three. Absolutely wet from three. Um, and I love him as a combo guard. He's going to compete on defense. He can guard your best guard night in and night out, and he's going to hit his threes. He can run secondary pick and rolls. He can score at all three levels. Got a great floater game. Touch around the basket. Shot the mid-range well. Shot the three ball extremely well. He just, you know, obviously was in a winning culture with NBA players playing against NBA prospects. He, he's, he's my guy three and D a little bit more. But the traditional wing shoot threes, and defend, I'd go Moses. Let me just say that I really like Jared Butler, too. I am surprised to hear you say that you think he's the better of the two Baylor guards, and I would like you to elaborate a little bit more on that. Like, what separates him from Davion to you? Uh, I just think his game fits the, the NBA mold more. I mean, Davion, first of all, there are questions about his jump shot. Personally, you know, he played a competitive season shooting, shooting a high-volume, high-percentage ball. In, in college basketball, I don't want to question it too much, but the free throw percentages, the prior sample size, there's a lot more questions about his jump shot than Jared Butler. And the rest of the offense just makes a lot more sense for me with Jared Butler. He was more pick and roll focused. He was more three level. If you look at Davion, Davion relied on, you know, he, he went by people quite a bit. At six feet and in his role, he's not really going to, you know, he does the little go by, he likes to go to his left and then finish with the offhand. He does that all the time. 
he's not really going to get that opportunity. Like, he's just not going to be good enough to go by people like that in the NBA. So then he's a spot-up three. And he, there's playmaking there. He can run a pick-and-roll. But I just see so much, as far as how the NBA game, the space, the pick-and-rolls, the size, I just see a lot, it, it translating a lot more Jared Butler. And I think they're both going to be good defenders. Jared Butler's going to be bigger. I think Davion is going to be better. But I don't think the difference is going to be big enough for how more seamlessly Jared Butler is going to fit into the NBA offense. Very interesting. I think I'm a little higher on Davion's ceiling maybe because to me, Jared Butler is like really good role player for sure. Possibly a starting caliber point guard and will do his job very well. With Davion though, maybe a little more optimistic on the shiftiness, the explosiveness, getting buckets there. And defensively, I think I said this when we went on heat check, could be Drew Holiday. Like, I think that although Jared Butler will be a plus defender, I think that Davion's intensity, ability to apply pressure there, the defensive playmaking, guarding the pick and roll, guarding guys in isolation is going to be really a signature trade for him. And I think he'll be one of the best in the league there. So you guys laid out my three favorites in this category. I think Davion isn't traditional 3 and D, but is going to be a really good player. Trey Murphy, to me, I said this on heat check as well. I think has some Mikhail Bridges in his game with the understanding his role. And maybe it's simple where it's a lot of cutting. It's a lot of spot up shooting. And then you lock up on the other end, but he's really good at it. And then I think Moses is the guy who has the tools, the mentality to impact the game on both ends and do a little bit more with the difficult shot making that he has and is the youngest out of this group and definitely has room for growth there. So I'm a big fan of all three of them. And outside of that, there's not many guys who are really in the same class to me in that category. So Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask you a Davion question. Yeah. Because here's my thing with his defense. When you look at six-foot guards in the playoffs that play defense the way he plays, you know, feisty in your group, Patrick Beverly type. Outside of Drew Holiday, I think it's kind of an anomaly because he's got a lot of size. It's just not – I don't know if there's that many – much game-changing ability in that. Because when you look at Patrick Beverly, it looks great, it seems great. And then when you're against the best guards, when you get the Luka Doncic matchup in the playoffs, it seems like it doesn't really matter. And the defenders that matter are the big, rangy, versatile wing and big defenders. It's the Draymonds that are changing games, the Giannis's that are changing games, the DeAndre Aitons even this year that are changing games. So I just don't really know if that peskiness up in Luca's grill round one in the NBA playoffs is going to matter as much as so many other playoff defense. The big guys that take up space, take away the rim and can actually take away a player's best actions. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, Davion's still not going to stop Steph. He's still not going to stop Luca. He's still not. And he's, he can't do anything else. He's six feet, He's six mm-hmm. feet tall. He's not getting his, you know, he's not covering space in the court. He's not, he's not going to be an insane help defender. He can't be. So, that, that's where I fall on his defense. I just think it's – I don't know. I think he, he's a little bit of a one-trick pony. Um, and I, I, I still value him in the top 20, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's my I, deal with him. I absolutely generally agree with you. And then, of course, those guys who can impact multiple positions, have the physical tools, all of that, they are the more valuable players than guys who are primarily just going to be guarding ones based on at least their physical profile. I guess I just don't think there's that huge of a gap in the measurables between Drew and Davion. Like there's an inch and a half of height and there's a couple inches of wingspan and that matters. But like, I think that Davion's pretty strong too. And 
it's a fair point. I just think if you can really guard ones at as high of a level as I expect him to be able to, that matters. And I think that physically, he feels to me that he plays a little bit bigger than yeah. Patrick Beverly has a little more yeah. value there. Cause like Pat Bev yeah. actually becomes a joke when he like tries to guard great yeah. perimeter scores. It's like, okay, they'll just walk all over you. I don't think Davion is like small in that sense. You know, I feel like he's like Drew Holiday where it's like, okay, he can punch above his weight a bit. Yeah. I think the six foot measurement is really interesting too, to see if he actually looks six feet on the court. Cause like, you know, Drew Holiday is listed at, um, what is six, three. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, and who knows what Drew Holiday actually is with um, without shoes and all that stuff. But the six-foot measurement at the Combine I thought was really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he looks six feet on an NBA basketball court, I just could never see him doing the stuff that Drew does. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's reasonable. All right. So let's move on to another coveted draft category, one that has defined a lot of recent drafts, maybe not as much this one, but it's the international guys. And this class is unique in that I guess Kaminga would be the exception, but he's been playing in the U.S. as of late, that there isn't really that international guy in the top five or whatever. But Carvel, let's start with you. Who is your favorite out of that international category? Um, Alex Sengon. He, he's my, I know we both of you guys like him too. We might all have the same answer here. I'm assuming we will have <laughs> the same answer here. <laughs> so I think he's, He's freaky similar, just a bonus, freaky similar. They have almost the exact same measurements, and, and they play, you know, they're, they're nifty but physical bruisers in the post. They have a lot of touch around the rim. They've shown the ability – they both show the ability to shoot. I'm not sure it's uh, as one of their more elite skills, but, you know, they, they can shoot free throws. They have touch. They can – it looks like Sengun's going to be able to extend his range. The bonus – toys around with extending his range and they're both playmakers. They can be secondary hubs. You know, they love, they both love the dribble handoff game, love playing with the lead guard. Um, and then the confusion on defense, I think is super similar too, right? We talk about with Sabonis all the time, him and miles Turner. If you get rid of miles Turner, can you play Sabonis at the five? Can he, can he guard quick fours like a Deandre Hunter, but then can he guard, Clint Capella in the pick and roll. Can, you know, can he guard lob, lob threats, bigger bigs? Is, there's going to be the same exact questions about Sengun. It's, it's, is there going to be the quickness on defense? Is there going to be the ability to um, play complex pick and roll defenses and, and, and switch things around over there? But at the end of the day, his, his, he won the MVP of a decent pro league. He's, he's 19 years old. He's productive. He's big. He's super skilled. I just think he's a top 10 guy to me. Um, and I think he, I would not be surprised if his career pans out in a super similar way to Sabonis. And I think, I think Sabonis is a really apt comparison, especially with just, you know, how they're able to create shots out of the post. The big difference though, and what I would say is why I'm high, really high on Sangoon is just because of, you know, his athletic ability, like in the difference from him and Sabonis, I just feel like is he is upside as a genuine rim protector. If he can Max, he can jump out of the building. Uh, he's not jump out of. He's not like Kumango, but he could jump. He, he's he's white. Come on, fellas, he can jump a little <laughs> bit. Um, I, I think he has upside as a role man, and like that's how. I just like he's a special post player, but I think he's really versatile. I think I could see him running an offense, not like Sabonis, just out of the post. Like I could see him handling the rock, maybe running a little P and R. Uh, I'm really high on Sengun, but I think his athletic ability is where. Uh, that and the shot, but it's the shot with everybody when it comes to draft time. 
Uh, I think his just his vertical, and I think he's a little more agile than Sabonis, which is why I think he just has a little more upside than him. I think it's going to be interesting seeing what his role is ultimately in the league because he doesn't look like that many big men out there, but man, is he talented. And for me, he just has so many of the skills that I froth at the mouth over. I mean, when a guy can play make like that, when he has the kind of skilled post scoring, the kind of touch, it's very exciting to me. And I think can have a number of uses offensively. And I agree with kind of both of you. I guess I fall in the middle ground defensively where I do think he can be more of a plus rim protector than a guy like Sabonis. I don't think he's going to be able to guard fours at all that high of a level, but I also don't think he's at all ideal as a rim protector. And if he is going to fill that role and needs to get stronger and needs to get just all around better there. And I don't know if he has the physical tools to do it, but I think offensively tremendously skilled. I'll shout out another one of my favorite international guys, Josh Giddy, who I'm a big fan of Carvel. Actually, you first introduced me to him way back when before he shot up draft boards because he's now a borderline consensus lottery guy. I think there just comes a point where if you're as productive as he was in a good pro league, that has to grab your attention. And the guy put up 11, 7.3 and 7.6 in the NBL. I think he's the best passer in the draft at six, eight. I think is very creative as a, as a playmaker can deliver the ball with velocity touch. He's an ambidextrous passer. Like the dude is just an all around machine there. I just worry about his half court ceiling. And I don't think he has the explosiveness or the reliable jump shot that you generally need to be entrusted with significant pick and roll ball handling. And that's where I worry about him a little bit. I think it's really about the shot. If he figures it out, I think he has a very high ceiling. If he doesn't, he's going to be kind of a weird player. And I don't know exactly where he fits. What did you just mouth, Logan? He's going to be Ricky Rubio if he doesn't develop anything else. 6'8", Ricky Rubio. I don't know. There are worse things. And maybe that's fair enough. But again, 6'8", Ricky Rubio. I'll take that for the most part. Let me ask you guys about the last guy who is sort of in this same class of prominent international players, Usman Garuba. Any love for him? What are our thoughts? Logan, you're shaking your head. I'm just not a Garuba guy right now. Just like, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like there's, there's a lot of effort. There's a lot of upside too. Like the, uh, he's a special athlete. He's got special size, but I don't know, man. He's just really raw. And like, he's, <laughs> he's so much more raw between Giddy and uh, Sengun and Garuba. It's to me, it's not close. There are levels to this, but um, he's got a huge ceiling. Like, I think it's going to take a while for him to develop, but uh I think he can get there. I'm just not a fan of his game right now. Yeah, I'm not a Newsman guy. <laughs> um, but that's the word. Uh, it, he's just he, – the fit on offense is just horrendous. I mean, he, he's, he's not, he doesn't have a great touch around the rim. His shot is totally broken. It's, there's so much focus on the three-point shot. It's over. He's never going to be able to shoot competently. There's no, there's a little bit of playmaking game in the sense that he can make the right play, but with it, when there's going to be so little attention on him, I just don't really think it's going to be all that useful, you know. And you, he's also as a role man, he's six seven, and he's not like explosive as in he's gonna, just going to like go up and dunk on you. And then the short roll stuff, I just don't really think he is, you know. Like when you look at the, the smaller short roll guys like a Draymond or like a Bruce Brown. Draymond ideally used to be able to finish off the short roll. And Bruce Brown had a great little floater game off the short roll. Like, 
Usman just doesn't have any of that stuff. I, I would not take Usman in the top 20. I would not take him in the top 25, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a pretty, pretty shallow international class. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you guys have said. To me, you just can't justify taking him, certainly in the lottery, in a class where there are so many talented guys. And it's because you can be a phenomenal defensive player and not be a guy who teams will play for more than 20 minutes a game. Look at Matisse Thibel, who right now is arguably the best perimeter defender on the planet who plays 20 minutes a game and you can't entrust in massive playoff minutes because you don't know if he's going to reliably knock down a three. To me, Garuba is even on another level of offensive rawness. And you can say, okay, well, judge him as a big, but like, I just don't think he is really a big offensively. Like stick him in the dunker spot. That's fine. He can be okay there, but he's not going to be a hugely impactful player. And that just isn't worth a lottery pick. And to me, if you are looking at guys who have been able to thrive while being that great defender all around, which by the way, he totally is seven, three wingspan, good hands there. He can stick with a lot of guys can be a help side rim protector fights on the glass. Like he has the tools there. No question. The standard for guys who are able to do that, not score and still be great is Draymond Green, who can also be your point guard, who can have 20 assist games. And like when people say, oh, I like Usman as a short roll decision maker, it's like the guy averaged 0.9 assists a game. It's like Carvel <laughs> said, he can make a basic read there and teams aren't even going to have to respect his in-between games. So I just don't see it. Like if you're picking very late first round, go ahead, take a flyer, have him as a guy you can play in specific matchups who can maybe change the game a bit with his defense, but don't expect him to be a foundational piece because really, I just don't see that for him. And Logan, you were being a little more optimistic about the ceiling. I don't see a super high ceiling for him either. Like maybe there's a bit of handling, but if the shot isn't there, I just don't see it. The only reason I say that is because of the pure athleticism and how we've seen other guys, like I'd say rawer than him, come into the league and perform. Mm -hmm. I really don't see it either, though. I, it's yeah. all about his athletic upside. Um <laughs> Do you guys think that he takes this uh, this amount of volume of shots once he gets to the league, like from deep? Like, is he only is he just going to be purely a a shitty three and D or like he just is twenty five percent from behind the arc? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think his role model is essentially going to be like this year's version of PJ Tucker, where you're in the corner, <laughs> you're in the corner throwing up prayers. And other than that, you're just hustling on the other end yeah. of the court. You're just sprinting around, doing whatever you can to get any respect on the court um because you know he's small like he, you know he's not like he's just not <laughs> i don't know man like yeah you just don't see people in his size with that little skill level be able to stay on the court like in, in meaningful minutes <laughs> big games so i mm. i i almost i have him in like 20 26 to 30 range on my board i feel like that's just because you know there there are respected draft guys that have him in the lottery like i feel like if i didn't have any biases and just independently evaluated all these guys, I wouldn't even, he'd just be a total non-factor. He wouldn't be on my mind at all. Yeah. It's just so hard if you don't have offensive game. And right now he just does not have offensive game. So glad that we all took that opportunity to just speak ill of Uzman. <laughs> <laughs> Hope he enjoys coming to the NBA. He seems pretty lovable. I think fan bases might have yeah. kind of a Frank, Frank Nilakina connection to him. Because he's, oh, got, man. he's got some charisma. I hope that's not how it goes for Usman. I hope that he can do a little bit more than that. 
but not looking great right now, according to us here. <laughs> okay, let's flip things back positive here. And I'll ask you guys another question about perhaps a diamond in the rough here. Who to you is a non-lottery guy with star potential? Um, I, I would have a couple guys. I, my first guy is Io. I love Io. Um, I pretty much a lottery grad on him. Uh, mid-teams grad on him. I think that dude is ridiculously underrated. He's pro ready right now. He's coming off a college season that he did everything for one of the best teams in the country. He's long as hell. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. He proved he could shoot off the dribble. He proved he could shoot off the catch. And, again, it's like the Davion thing. People are questioning his shot because the previous sample. It's like this dude just went up against the best in college basketball for a full season. We had a full sample, and he shot the hell out of the ball. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to doubt him after that. It's, he would have to prove me wrong at this point. So, you know, he got to the line a decent amount. He had a point three three. A free throw rate. He's got a really – I really like the handle and the pace with him. He knows he knows that he's not the best athlete. He knows that he's not a spectacular athlete. So he, he sets people up with long crosses, all the stuff, hesitations. Um, and he can do it at all three levels. So I think he's a – I think he's a legitimate pick-and-roll lead ball handler, which he already has a lot of experience coming to league. He's 21. He's got a good attitude. Um, you know, he just had a – he had, just had an interview drop with Mike Schmitz at ESPN. He's, he's a proven worker. He knows what he needs to improve on. So I think if someone, if I think if an organization treats him like that, like a guy, like not just, you know, an older guy that they think is pro ready to come in and contribute as a role player and someone that they're actually developing to be the lead guy, I think he has a legitimate shot at that. And the second guy I'll mention is Trey Mann out of Florida, who's 20. He's a, he's a little bit less rounded, but I do think the shooting range is legitimate. Pick and roll polish is legitimate. He's really crafty. He reminds me of SGA. He, he, you know, he, he's like slimy on that pick and roll dribble where he's just going in and out, in and out. And with a spread floor, that's just going to get better. With better rollers, that's just going to get better. Um, there are things that, you, you know, there's not great defensive intensity. He's going to have to be a really good offensive player to stay on the court. He's got an even wingspan. But I do think there could be a star in there somewhere. And kind of the Shea Gilles Alexander mold. Uh, he'd have to, you know, Shea gets away a lot away with a lot at the rim because his length he kind of just sneaks balls up there because he has such long arms trey's more of three to five feet away stopping in the floater game pump fakes whatever that'll be different but other than that um and then obviously the shot outside i, I think I, I think he could really turn into something or completely bust but that's why you take him in the 20s so uh, i'm i'm in love with trey man and i don't I don't think he's a guy taking the 20s. I'd take him in the lotto. That's why I didn't write him down uh, for this, because I think he is a lottery pick. I think he's going to keep shooting up draft boards. He might go top 10. Uh, stupid floater game. I think that's the big sell on Trey is just in that mid-range, guys are going to have to commit, which are going to open up lanes. Carvel, I think the shot translates 40% from deep, 80% from the line. Like uh, A tough sample size. Really... Tough sample size, too. He's not taking easy. He's not taking easy threes. It's a, yeah, it is tough. Um, and dude, like, honestly, y'all like he's listed right now. I, I, you know, I heard about his growth spurt, obviously. Dude, he might be six, six, bro. Like that man is way taller than six, three on the court. Um, Trey's huge. I guess the guy that I genuinely don't think is going to go lottery though, that I think has star potential. And this is kind of a long shot because I'm not really in love with where his game is now. Uh, it's a guy we talked about after uh, the national championship, Carson, uh, Jalen Johnson. I still like the guy. 
I think he's got a lot of R.J. Barrett in him, which I, I don't love just like size-wise where he's at right now. I think right now his immediate fit in an offense is probably just as a primary role man as a lob threat. Like I don't want the ball in his hands immediately, but he's 6'9", he's 220. I think at his peak he can run the four or the five. I'd want him at the four. Um, he can. He's, he's really athletic. Like I just think Jalen Johnson has a really large ceiling. Again, I, this isn't a guy that I expect, like Trey Mann, to burst out of the gates and be an impact player. But like you said, Carvel, I think if a guy takes Jalen, if they work with him and they try to take their time and growing with him, uh, I think this guy's ceiling is through the roof. I think that's a lot of good choices there. Trey is an absolute bucket. And what I'm interested in seeing with him is – how is his command of the game and facilitating for others really? Cause that's an area in which I would like to see a little bit of growth from anybody who I'm going to entrust with big ball handling responsibilities, because like, that's just the difference between a really talented player and a really talented player who also is going to amplify others and go out there and win you games is can you create for others? And again, control the game in that respect. Jalen Johnson to me is a guy who I still like overall. I had him written down as a possible name here. I'm trying to figure out what the exact role for him is where he is a star because like there are a variety of things that I could see him being good at. Transition should be good as a scorer and playmaker. I think offensively could be a role man, could be a guy who you put in the dunker spot, could be a sort of post playmaker. Defensively, I think has the tools to be a big plus a versatile guy there. I just don't know what you do with him totally because he's not going to be a traditional big offensively. You need to find a way to utilize that playmaking. And if he's not going to run pick and roll, which he's not going to do, in my opinion, he doesn't have the shot. He doesn't have the floater touch, whatever. I'm not positive about it, but I still think he has enough tools to where he belongs in this category. IO to me is interesting going back to Carvel's first choice, because I kind of think of him in a completely different light in that maybe as you were talking about some teams, possibly utilizing him, I think he does a lot of things well at like a B level, but he doesn't have that one trait to me where it's like, wow, that gives you a superstar ceiling. And the first guy who I'll talk about here, who I do think has that star potential is a guy who I think also in very many realities could just be a bust and could be a guy who you don't want anywhere near your team. But maybe that sounds a little harsh, but I do think there are worlds in which given the kind of volume of touches he's going to demand, he just isn't worth it. But I think Sharif Cooper absolutely has star potential because to me, you're looking at a guy who has unique playmaking value out of the pick and roll, a phenomenal passer, lob thrower extraordinaire, just great in that respect as a scorer, changes pace well, so fast, dynamic handle, gets to the line like crazy, 8.6 free throws a game. To me, and this is a lot to expect of somebody, but he is a floater and a reliable three away from having a ton of Trey Young in his game. And you can look at it and say, okay, well, those are two things that make Trey Young what he is. And that's true. And that's why I think that there's boomer bust potential here. But this is a guy who has good touch and who, to me, has the command of the game elsewhere. He just has to force teams to respect the shot. And he has to have that in between game. But I think it's going to be tough for him to find a middle ground offensively because I don't know what he is if he's not a primary ball handler. Maybe, I don't know, he's bigger than we expected. Like, if he actually is 6'4", which still seems crazy, maybe he can do more off the ball. Right now, to me, it's kind of he is a star, dual threat as a creator, score, and playmaker, or he's just a guy who you don't want. 
I don't know if he's necessarily ready for the game. Like I, like I might G League Sharif still. Um, mm. Send him down, just work on his shot. Like I just think he's borderline unplayable right now, just because of his shot. I love his playmaking instincts. I love him out of the pick and roll. I loved him after the NCAA championship game. We talked about him. Um, I think it all in lies with the shot. I think you're right. If he gets a a little bit of a floater game, and it's gonna all be all about his three though. Like he's yeah. Um, I, I think Sharif could be a guy who easily puts up six to seven assists, uh, you know, a night. Not out the gate, but, you know, you give him a little time to grow. I think he's a really good playmaker. But if he doesn't knock down a shot, which I guess is a reason why you might want to stay away from him, um, I just get someone in the gym and work with him, bro. Like, just mm-hmm. – yeah. once he knocks I, down that shot, he's a rotation guy. For me, like, if that shot turns into anything – then anything's possible. Like he's <laughs> yeah. that that dude is not going to shoot a consistent three ball ever, ever. And he <laughs> and he sure as heck is not going to do it off the dribble, pulling up into it. No way. Mm-hmm. He his feet are all out of whack. He leans like sixty degrees backwards into his shot. It is yeah. back at like this weird slope. I mean, seriously, anything is possible if that dude mm-hmm. can do what Trey Young does out of the pick and roll. So. And then he's just – he's tiny and going to be a terrible defender. So, I just – you know, I think he can play in the NBA because he has great instincts. He's just a hooper. Like, he's got a great mm-hmm. handle. He can draw fouls. But I, I see, like, more the Ish Smith in him where it's just like, you know, just get, can, can play around in that mid-game with his speed and everything. But, I mean, dude, yeah. he's, he's not going to shoot the ball ever in the, in the league or, like, or one of us is going to the league. Yeah, I should have emphasized how tall of a task it really is to, to expect that of him because his shot is broken. Like, he would have to completely rework it, and that's not an easy thing to do in your basketball adulthood. But I do think he has enough tools to where if he can figure that out, he's a great player, but obviously that is a lot to figure out. I'll throw out one more guy. Cameron Thomas, I think, has an unbelievable scoring skill set. And, like, another guy where it's – do I trust him to be an all-around good basketball player to where I'm going to give him the amount of touches that he needs to fully shine his, to fully show his skill set as a scorer? I'm not sure. But, dude, I mean, the bag that he has, the step-backs, the jabs, the turnarounds, the confidence he has, like, he only shot 32.5% from deep, but he's clearly a much better shooter than that. 88% from the line. Another guy who just gets to the line a ton, 7.6 free throws a game. I just think if you can score 23 a game on 55% true shooting in the SEC, that has to catch your eye. At the same time, there's really not much else going for him. And I think it's more likely that instead of him being a star, he's more of like an electric sixth man because I just don't know if he's going to have the playmaking value. But he's young, there's room for growth, and he really does stand out as one of the just purest buckets in this class. Yeah, I love Cam Thomas. The only reason I didn't have Cam Thomas here is because I have a lot of grade on him. Mm. So I just he showed a lot of nifty playmaking. It, it's mm. it's way more in the tape than it is in the numbers. So I I think he could absolutely at the least be a super respectable bench scorer that that really helps winning. And I also I, I think he has star potential totally. I'm gonna be honest, guys. I am not a Cam Thomas guy. I think just it's not really like his. I just don't see anything that separates him outside of his shot at the NBA level. Like if, if his shot falls, like if it's good from day one, if he's able to, if he's just knocking them down, yeah, he's going to be a valuable player, but I just don't see a whole lot else in this game. Like, do you see him as, is getting buckets like his only role? Like you guys say, does he have growth as a playmaker? Like I, 
I just don't really see anything out of him in these first couple years outside of being like a spot-up shooter. I just think he has a bag, man. I don't think he's going to be a spot-up shooter. I think he's going to be a guy who creates for himself at a really high level. So, to me, if you're going to question something, it is going to be that playmaking ceiling. Like, a 23-point to 1.4 assist ratio is just pretty insane to see. A negative assist-to-turnover ratio, not great. So, like, that can be a limiting factor for anybody. But maybe if you do put the ball in his hands enough, he can grow there. I'm not going to bet on it. I'm not going to bet on his defense either. But I will bet on him being a bucket. And that's enough to say if he does fall out of the lottery, which certainly is not a lock to happen, but it is a distinct possibility, there's definitely upside there. Let's sort of ask the inverse of this question, which is instead of that guy who maybe has a little more boomer bust, a non-lottery guy with that star potential, who is the guy in this draft who's not an obvious star, who you would just bet your life on to be a good basketball player. Carvel, we'll start with you. Um, bet my life to be – I would have to go Duarte here. I love Chris Duarte. I think he's going to be a good player from the jump. I don't even think it's debatable at this point. I think he's in – I think he'll be in the tier with like Dylan Brooks and Brogdon of those older guys that originally are like, okay, we're going to take them late, you know, because they don't have the potential and they're going to be good, not great players. And then both of them kind of turned into like second, third best players on good teams type of players, which is obviously they proved much more valuable than where they were drafted in the second round. I think Duarte is going to prove to be more valuable than where he's drafted. If he's drafted at 15, 16, 17, he's so solid everywhere. He's got a beautiful stroke, maybe the best stroke in the class from three he did it off the ball. He did it on the ball. He's big. He can do damage at all three levels. He can draw fouls. He can handle. He's mature. He's experienced. He's played at all these different levels, all these different you know systems. On ball and all off ball defense are both above average. It's not really his calling card, but he's going to fit into an NBA defense right away. I just think you know he could provide playoff depth right now, and totally a lot more than that in the future. So he's just. I would be so, so surprised if he was anything less than a good NBA player. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the Dylan Brooks comparison is apt. I think like a Desmond Bain, I think immediately this guy provides rotational minutes and is a really versatile weapon uh, wherever he goes. I'm going to go maybe uh, a little down the board. Uh, my guy who I think is going to be really solid is uh, North Carolina big man, uh, Dayron Sharp. Um, I like what he brings on the glass. He's one of the best rebounders uh, in this class. He, I think he had the highest... Uh, like offensive rebounding rate in the NCAA. I think he led the uh, NCAA in offensive boards. He's a dog there. And, like, I want to clarify, I don't think De'Ron Sharp becomes a star. Like, he's never going to be a stretch big, a guy you run offense through. He, shoot, he shot 50% from the free throw line. But I think bare minimum, he's a two-way rotational big. But at his peak, I think this is a guy that can battle with interior forces like Giannis, Zion Jokic because of his size. He's nearly seven feet tall. He's 265, really agile, really switchable. And he can jump, too. Uh, I think my ceiling on this kid, I think he could be like a, a Clint Capella. And again, I want to reiterate, like, he does the dirty stuff. He's going to set hard screens. He rolls to the rim hard. He's a hustler. He moves. He gets back in transition. He runs the floor in transition. And he's just fast for a guy this size. And a, a really underrated aspect, if you have not watched any of his game, he's not an Andre Drummond type big man where he's going to try to do a whole lot in he doesn't have a post game, but he knows that. When he backs guys down in the post, he's trying to drag double teams, and he's got sneaky good passing vision for cutters, for shooters. Um, this kid is going to be good, and I think in a rotation, maybe he starts out in the G League. There's no doubt in my mind that this kid becomes a rotation player by the end of his first year. 
I think he's got, and I think he's got upside too because of his athleticism. I love Dayron Sharp. I'm so much higher on him than most people are. I I think a second round grade on him is ridiculous. He's such a great rebounder. He's he's slimmed down. He has legitimate touch and like. Watching him, he stood out every time I watched him. And UNC, I mean, they they did a terrible job following COVID guidelines. They're literally their entire team was within six feet of each other, right next to the basket at all times. They played like four big men at the same exact time. It was ridiculous how how they played basketball. So it, it, judging him off that is you're not gonna you're not gonna convince me. I, I I'm glad you mentioned him because he might have not been mentioned for the rest of this podcast. Because he's going to be some legitimate value. He's slimmed down. He's like 20 pounds slimmer than he was. He can actually run, and he's got touch. Like, I just think – I think he's going to be a legit, legit NBA big. I like Dayron, and I had Duarte written down as one of my names here. This is the comparison that I made on the Heat Check pod, and it's actually names who both of you guys mentioned. I said I could totally see him being a Dylan Brooks – a better Desmond Bain, something like that. Like, I think he is just such a sure thing offensively, versatile guy there. The stroke is undeniable. I think Davion is a guy who I would just bet on to be a good basketball player. I think he has too many tools on both ends. And then this one, I guess to throw a new name into the mix, I'll put out there. I'm not maybe as high on him as I was at one point, but I still think he's a pretty safe bet. And that is Corey Kispert, because to me, he's just the best shooter in the draft. I think he's the best shooter in the last couple drafts. And as long as he is not just abysmal defensively, I think that he will be the next Joe Harris. This is what I've said, but like, almost 19 a game on 63% from two, 44% from three, 88% from the line has a little bit of creating for himself, a little bit of the floater game. I'm just very confident in him being a guy who teams can play in their rotation and who can make big shots for a long time. All right. So let's go negative here for a moment. Talked about the guys who are not at the top of this class who we believe in. Is there a guy who is in that top tier towards the top of this draft who you just don't like as much as any as everyone else for whatever reason. Logan, let's start with you. I think I know who your answer is going to be. I mean, it's already wiped my tail and flushed the toilet on Jonathan Kaminga on the heat check pod, so I'm not going to do that again here. Um, okay. I, 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 I'm not a big Kaminga guy, but I do think he has upside. Uh, we already talked about Garuba, too, so I'm going to go to a guy that makes no sense to hate on. I don't like Franz Wagner, bro. I'm just, I'm, just I'm just not a Wagner guy, um, and I think he's got a lot of tools that people look for like he's not a dumb player he's high q he cuts he he plays hard defense and he knocks down his open threes he's also 6'9 220 what's not to like about the guy i don't know i just <laughs> i just don't see it bro like i just when he when he handles the rock like he just doesn't create a whole lot of separation he's not Vonier's tape doesn't really scream that he's going to be bad i just i just don't like the guy i'm going to keep it a buck i'm just not a Wagner guy yeah, well, Wagner's one of my guys, too. <laughs> I don't know if it's for the same reasons, but I, I have the two guys that I think that are potentially will, will be picked in the lottery and are potentially top 10 picks that I don't like would be Wagner and Josh Giddy. And I don't, neither of them, I don't hate either of them, but Wagner's just, he's eh, everywhere. Like he's, <laughs> he's not a great shooter. He shoots it low. He's, he doesn't move that well on offense. He can, like, people talk about his playmaking and ball handling. He's not ever going to be good enough to really warrant giving him the ball in the league. But he's not that great of an off-ball weapon. And then on defense, he's totally overrated. Like, he, you know, he can move his speed. He's switchable. But 
I don't know how much he's going to be involved in picking roles. I don't know how much the switchability is really going to come into play in the first place. And other than that, you know, he moves his feet pretty well for a guy his size. I don't really buy the jumper. He's just whatever to me. I just uh, he's he's totally a first rounder. I think just because he's a big wing that has the potential to shoot and guard. But the top ten is ridiculous. You're just wasting a pick. And then Giddy, I just he's another like he shoots it like a guy you see at the YMCA. It is so weird. His, his knees damn near touch when he shoots the three ball. So he's just like Sharif for me. And the Rubio comparisons, I just don't think he's as you know. Rubio came in knowing how to run a professional offense. That was his. That was his appeal. Is that he's a maestro. He's more of a transition guy and a a little bit more flash over substance. I still think there's a role for him, but I don't. First of all, Rubio is a great defender. Giddy's going to be a terrible defender. And second of all. Rubio connects all the parts. He's a maestro. He's not, you know, and Giddy's more of like a, you know, you're at the top of the key and you're swinging it to the corner, which no one saw, even sees the guy except him because he's 6'8 mm-hmm. and he has great peripheral vision. So I don't think that's a top 10 talent for me when, when you have no upside to shoot the three ball well and therefore no upside to be like a really high level starter. Um, but both those guys are still, still first round picks to me, just not, not top 10 guys. I generally agree. I think it's somewhat unfortunate that Giddy has skyrocketed into that top 10 conversation because, I don't know, it's made me go from being just so excited about, wow, look at this guy who's going to be picked very late in the first and, like, he has this one crazy distinctive skill set with the passing to now, like, okay, top 10, what is the offensive ceiling if he isn't that dynamic half-court scorer? Because I don't know that he's a guy who's ever going to deserve the keys to an offense anywhere. And Franz... I generally agree with you guys. <laughs> I mean, first things first, the first thing I was taught as a boy is never trust a German. So that is definitely playing a role here. And the second thing is that I just don't see the really distinctive trait. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a Swiss army knife thing there that he can do a number of things pretty well, but top 10, I just don't see it either. I don't see that really high ceiling and then I guess I will throw Kaminga out there as a guy who I don't like generally as much as most other people. Like, I just think with him, there's a lot of things that you can point to and say, oh, he could do this well. You know, he could be a consistently effective isolation scorer creating for himself. Maybe he could shoot, even though he's under 25% from deep this year. He could be a good defender, but I don't think he's going to be an insane defender. And like, I just don't see his superstar trait. And when I'm looking at the top five guys in this class there's a lot of superstar traits and i'm just not quite as high on kaminga there even though i think he's still intriguing i just think there's kind of a low floor and i don't know that the ceiling is as high as some of those other top guys i think it's funny that you bring up the uh giddy skyrocketing up the draft boards because it'd be like it'd be like last year if ball morrow jumped up to the top 10 you know what i mean like mm-hmm. back yeah. when we were you know, talking about our favorite prospects after the title game. Yeah, Giddy seemed like a really fun guy to talk about because he was going to go mid-20s to 30s. And, yeah, I – like, would you guys – like, if you're uh, – I don't know, bro. I, I still like – I think you guys are – like, Giddy's a lottery guy. I still – I think he's borderline top 10. I, I believe in his shot a little more than I feel like. Like, I still am a – I don't know, bro. I don't think his shot's that bad. I don't think it's as bad as Sharif, certainly, because he doesn't lean backwards very weirdly. I, I can see a world in which he can shoot the ball, but I'm not necessarily going to bet on it. And what was he from the line? Like mid-60s? Like that's not overly encouraging either. So yeah, 
I'm not – I don't know. Yeah, with both of them, just the way they shoot the ball, there's no way you can do it on the move because yeah. with, with Josh, with he slowly gets into his base, his knees like almost click, all that stuff where you just have to be set and ready to shoot. But they're both lead ball handers, so they're going to have the ball in their hand. You know, their job's not going to be the off-ball guy. So, for me, you'd have to rework everything to be able to get it to a point where they can shoot off the dribble, which is your swing skill for them to be a star, a superstar, whatever it is. So, that's my thing with them. Um, but I, I, I think they can find niches in the league. But you got to be able to shoot if you want to be a lead ball handler. Yeah. I think that that is something that we have certainly seen time and again in recent years in the NBA. Let's talk about some of the sleepers here. Who is your favorite second round guy in this class? Logan, start with you. Uh, I went with, uh, God, I don't know. I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name. Uh, the point guard from France, uh, fake Frank Nidalekina, uh, <laughs> uh Begarin, uh, only 18. I think he's got, I don't know. Carville, go ahead, bro. Give me a, give me an English lesson here. I, I, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. <laughs> I, I, if I were you, I wouldn't have even gone with him just so you don't <laughs> have to pronounce his name, even if you truly believe he's your second-round guy. I, I, he's my second-round guy. Uh, from now on, he will be referred to as uh, fake Frank Nettolikina. Um So fake Frank, he's, he's only 18, 6'5", 192. Um, the only downside to, like, watching tape from this guy and getting really excited is because he's playing against guys in the French second league. Like, He's shown a little shot off the dribble, a little step back game. He's a really strong athletic finisher when he gets inside. He's got a quick first step. I really like his instincts off the catch. And honestly, I think he's got a really coachable shot. Like he's got a smooth up and down uh, catch and shoot. And like I said, he's shown a little shot off the dribble. Um, he's got a seven foot wingspan. I think he's got major defensive upside with his agility. But again, he's a second round guy. He's 18. There's a lot of development to go before he gets real playing time in the league. And I, I, there's a lot of boomer bust here. You could be getting a Frank Nittalikina. You could be getting a Jared Cunningham. Like you also could be getting a star. Um, I really like his upside and the tools that he's shown. Again, though, it's against lesser competition. Uh, but fake Frank is my guy, bro. I, I believe in him. <laughs> I, uh, I really like his scoring skill set. And um, I like his playmaking instincts, too, I think. If a team works with him, uh, I think he could be a real star in this league. Yeah, there are a lot of runs, guys. Uh, I think he's a draft and stash guy, probably. He's probably going to play over there for another couple of years. But he's he definitely has a, you know, his Twitter basketball fans. If I had to pick a second-round guy, I don't think it's a second-round class that we're going to see a star come out of, which we've seen semi-frequently recently. I, I would probably just go with Herb Jones who's just a guy, you know, I loved Alabama last year. He's just a guy that I think is going to, can play a role on a winning team, um, a real role. He, he's, he's just a basketball player. He does all the little things. He, um, the shot is obviously the swing thing, but it, it looks fine. He's got a little hitch in his lefty shot, but I, I think he could turn into a capable just catch and shoot guy. And outside of that, he's a fantastic defender. He's six, seven, got a seven foot wingspan, can guard anyone on the floor. He's a good playmaker. He ran a lot of their offense. He was the best player on that Alabama, the stacked Alabama team last year. Like he, you know, he, he won their, their uh, conference MVP, um, their conference uh, tournament MVP, all that stuff. So he can distribute, he can rebound and run. I just think he's going to find his way into an important, important role player position. Uh, kind of in like the Tory Craig mold, but maybe a little bit better. 
I'll shout out another big guy who I think is just going to be a really high-level role player. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a guy who I just think has a lot of tools to do a lot of things pretty well. I think should be a plus defender guarding a couple positions. Offensively should be pretty versatile. He was only 28% from three, but that just does not feel indicative of his shooting ability to me. He was 77% from the line. I think he has a good-looking stroke, has a nice mid-range game, which bodes well to me as well. And like a lot of Villanova guys, just smart, winning player fundamentally, I believe. He's a good post-passer, and I don't think there's a really high-end ceiling for him because he doesn't have that one trait, not a crazy athlete, not going to be a super impactful rim protector. So I think he has to be a four. I don't think you're going to be able to play him at the five because he, I don't think he even has a positive wingspan. I think he's six, nine with a six, nine wingspan and he's not a crazy vertical athlete, but because of the shooting, the IQ and the ability to stick to multiple positions, I am generally a pretty big fan of his and think he'll be a good guy overall. Let's talk now about a guy who instead of, you know, you having faith in maybe that higher floor, who's somebody who you like in this class, but will probably need some time to develop to ultimately become the best version of themselves. Carvel, let's start with you. Um, I'd go with Kai Jones and Kaminga here. Uh, they're the two lottery guys that I'm high on the ceiling. I think Kaminga has become a super easy target for hate just because he's risky, essentially. Um, and with him, like, yeah, of course, his tools are going to take a lot to develop. But at the end of the day, like, he has lead score tools. Like, and this is kind of what we saw. If you actually look at – he was playing pro basketball last year, and if you look at Lamelo from his pro basketball, his splits in Australia, almost the exact same. They were like 37-25, and Lamelo shot better from the free throw line. But I think that's weird because in the G League, they only shoot one free throw for every foul. So that just throws off your rhythm and just, like, I, I would give Kaminga, like, five, six percentage points better. He shot two free throws. Um, so, I, I don't know. For me, like, yeah, he's six eight. He draw, he drew fouls really well. He's super confident. The, the biggest thing for him is he's super confident in his three. He shot five a game. You don't need to reteach him how to play basketball, which is huge. So much easier to teach someone to be a willing shooter than it is to be a good shooter. I mean, a good shooter than it is to be a willing shooter. He's a willing shooter. So as soon as, as soon as they correct it, whenever they do, and apparently, you know, he's shooting great in off-season workouts, he's going to keep shooting them, and he's going to shoot them at a higher rate. So, you know, you look at guys like Jalen Brown and Jonathan Kaminga, and it's just like, and again, it, it's, it sucks comparing people to anomalies of development like Jalen Brown, but he's big. He's a freak. He's a freak in transition. He showed that he can do everything that star-level players do. It's just about connecting the consistency, and he's young. And then when we talk about Kai, I mean, he's just – Texas was a terrible little system there. They had three guards that hated passing the ball to the big men. They had, you know, freak athletes that they wouldn't throw the ball to in Greg Brown and Kai Jones and Jericho Sims. So, you know, he's got a super high motor, but it, you need to harness it in some way. You need to uh, make sure he's more disciplined on defense, strength on defense, building him up. Um, I worry about the touch a little bit. Some of the misses from three are a little concerning. I think he gets a little bit ahead of himself. He needs to breathe, calm himself down a little bit. But, I mean, I see it with him. I'm not as high on him as I think Carson is, but he could, he could really be a really good modern five. But we have been tricked by a lot of these guys, a lot of these type of guys in the past. So um, those are two guys I'd take in the lottery still. I'd take top ten, both those guys still but they're going to need a lot of development. And if you have a good organization, I, I totally think they could both pan out. 
Yeah, um, I think those are two really good choices. Uh, I actually went with Kuminga's teammate uh, on the night, and I went with Isaiah Todd. Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of like traits and similarities in how he plays his game to like a Ruby Gay. Like he's super athletic. Um, I, he's a decent shooter off the dribble, and he's got a decent shot. My only issue with Isaiah is with a guy with this bounce, like six nine, two twenty. Like I just want him to be more aggressive, trying to get to the rack, cutting. He settles for a lot of jumpers, a lot of mid-range jump shots, and that's just my issue is I just – he has to cut down on that. When you are this much or when you have this uh, ceiling as a really dominant no, – I won't say dominant, but a really good interior force. He's a strong finisher. I just – I want less turnaround Jays. I want less fadeaways. I want, I want less mid-range jumpers as much as Carson loves them. Um, I want you to get away from it, uh, and I think that – it's going to take uh, stylistically. I just think that more teams need to work with him on how to best like maximize his abilities, how to play the game. And then I just think he needs time to, to grow into it, uh, grow into his frame, grow into his shot and just kind of grow his game as a whole. I just don't like him immediately. I think he needs a few more, uh, another year or two in the G league. I like Isaiah Todd. I think that at his size, six ten, the kind of smooth skill shooting that he has, very, very impressive. And I think another thing that stands out about him is that he's a really nice off-ball player, curling around screens and whatnot. I see a little bit of like Bertans and how he's utilized there. Not that he's as good of a shooter, but in that you could use him in that same way to where he's not just a traditional pick-and-pop big or whatever necessarily. And he has more ability to create off the bounce and make those tough shots. And I think that, yes, he should take less of them, but it's a good sign that he could make uh, as many of the tough shots as he did. So to me, this is the Kai Jones category. Like, Carvel, you say we've been tricked by guys like him before. I don't feel like we've seen many players who have shown flashes of as many different things as Kai has who are not, like, top 10 picks. Like, the ability to put the ball on the floor, to shoot, to defend, damn near every position out there, to protect the rim – to even make competent decisions as a facilitator. I am just such a believer in his upside, but yes, it is absolutely going to take time. Like he was just a sophomore in college who scored under nine points a game. So I think that tells you about where he is in putting it all together consistently. But the ceiling to me is tremendously high. So let's shift gears here for a second and look at the team side of this, because we've talked about all these guys and how we feel about them respectively. From a team perspective, who has the most interesting pick in this draft? Logan, we'll start with you. I'd say it's between like three spots for me, honestly, at 6'9 and 10, or 6'10 and 11, excuse me. Uh, I think the Thunder, where they go, just because you have so many young assets, I'm just interested to see what who's the next young piece they throw into the fray. Uh, I think the more interesting two are uh, 10 and 11 with the Pelicans and Hornets. The Pels, obviously... Uh, you know, you hear these rumors about Zion potentially wanting to go like this could be a really important pick, not just like uh, potentially for your core. If you can keep everybody around uh, in, you know, if you get the timeline right, if you nail this pick on the head, you could be pretty competitive. And again, it may be imperative in keeping Zion. And then I just think in Charlotte, Charlotte's just a weird team. So many young players, PJ, Miles Bridges, LaMelo, like I don't really think there's a glaring need, maybe big man out there in Charlotte. Um I just think there's a lot of different directions they could go and a lot of uh, potential there, especially though. I think those are way more interesting because the top five is pretty much figured out. Like we know or relatively mm -hmm. know who the top five or six are going to be. Those spots are kind of wide open. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting picks. I think 
like Logan said, Oklahoma City at six is super interesting. I think there's a Book Knight or Kaminga thing that's really going to tell the story of the rest of the lottery right there. Um, I also would mention Houston has the 23rd and 24th picks, and the Knicks have 19 and 21. I think you can get a lot of value out of 23 and 24 and a lot of value out of 19 and 21. I think if both them hit with two picks, um, you know, this is a super deep draft. I love the first round of this draft. That could be seriously trouble, especially, you know, Houston, you get Jalen Green or Mobley or whatever, and then you hit with whatever it might be, Jalen Johnson and Trey Mann at 23 and 24. It, it could be pretty cool. The last team I would mention is San Antonio, just because I don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, who do you draft? If Stengon's gone, if the bigs that you don't like are gone, they have such a plethora of young guards and wings. Like, eventually you got to choose some. I know there's trade discussions with DeJounte and Derek White, but, like, are you going to take another wing and guard to back up White, Murray, Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Trey Jones, like all these guys that they're already developing, all of which are good, not great. It's just um, I'm just super interested to see what they find a need in and if they deal it with a player, whatever, whatever their move is. Yeah, I think a lot of good choices there. I'm very interested in what the Thunder do just because, well, first of all, they have three of the top 18 picks, so all of those are interesting to me. But, like, adding that actual foundational piece alongside SGA, actually doing something with those picks, you know, the clock is ticking in that respect. It's time to go do something. Even though their rebuild is only just starting, there still is a certain sense of urgency. I'm interested in what the Magic do with their couple picks. Even though it seems like they're taking Scotty at five, the eighth pick to me is still pretty interesting because they have so far to go overall. But to me, what takes the cake is what the Warriors are going to do, both at 7 and 14, because there's so many dynamics at play there as far as are they going to try to move the pick to potentially get a star? Talk of Bradley Beal potentially warning out of Washington. He's been a longtime target there. If they don't move those picks, personally, I say take guys who are ready to contribute now who can give you immediate value as a shooter because we know how desperately they need floor spacing. Ideally, who can play defense? I think Davion makes sense at 7. I would take personally Moses Moody at seven. I don't know if he's valued quite that highly around the league at this point. If he's sitting there at 14, I think that'd be a home run. And then it, once you get to 14, I'd look at guys like Kispert just because of the shooting, Trey Murphy because of that 3 and D value, guys you can plug and play. I'm interested in what both of you think about what the Warriors should do specifically as well because they're in such a unique position having these lottery assets while also being in that contender mode. Yeah, I mean, they're super interesting. It's getting – I'm getting tired of how much I think about what the Warriors are going to do. <laughs> um, I think they should deal it. I'm all in on the Bradley Beal train. For me, if it's not Beal, and they're not going to – they're not going to end up picking up both 7 and 14 and keeping those guys. But in some parallel universe where they do, I'd go Booknet at 7, Duarte at 14. Mm. Those would be my guys. I think their needs are a 3 and D wing um, that, you know, is plays Warriors basketball, knows how to move the ball. And then to go get a bucket guy. I'm high on Book Knight. He's my guy outside of the top five, and then Kaminga, and him and Kaminga are in their own thing. I I just think it would be I think it would be super val. He could be valuable from year one, but again, he's not he's not going to push the needle. He's rookies don't on these teams, so that's where I'd go. Book Knight and Duarte, but they're going to deal it. So it's a fool's game mm-hmm. thinking of this. I'd say yeah, either Book Knight, Moody, or. Um... Mitchell at that uh, seven spot at 14, like you said, Carson, just get a shooter, a guy who could like three and D Trey Murphy, Corey Kispert, I think are all really good options and are going to be available 
Um, do you guys buy into any of these like Ben Simmons, Pascal Siakam rumors? No, they're apparently not interested in Simmons. Siakam, there's been a lot of talk, man. That'd be an interesting fit. I think that Siakam, presuming that he doesn't have another season where he is just mentally off like he was last year, I think that he is a phenomenal basketball player. And like presuming that he shoots the ball as well as he did in the couple seasons prior with his defensive value, with his development as a playmaker, could be a very valuable star level asset. But it's not necessarily my favorite. Uh, to me, Beal is the dream scenario. We'll see if they can pull it off. But I agree with Carver for the most part. I mean, it doesn't seem like they intend to hold on to these picks. I do think they could get some legitimate value here because I think that this class is really good and they're standing at a couple spots where you can get really good players. But if they're not going to sit there and pick, then make sure you at least get the right guy when you do give up those assets. So that's going to do it for us here today, pretty much. I think that this is a class that clearly has the potential to be one of the best in a very long time, a really special group. I think the recent comparison or the recent peer maybe would be 2018 because that class has already proven to be so, so strong. And there's a lot of work to be done in justifying that comparison here, but the tools are certainly there. There are a lot of guys in this class at the top who have special tools and the depth, the potential for those valuable role guys is certainly there. So Carvel, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure to have you on. Any final words before we do our send off here? No, man. Just pumped up for the for the season after the season. But thanks for having me. It was a fun time. Yeah. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed listening to this pod, watching this pod as much as we enjoyed doing it, then I have good news. There's plenty more nerd sesh content like it. We're doing a couple of pods a week right now. It's been all about the NBA. Now we're doing some NBA offseason stuff. You can find all of those on our YouTube channel. You can also find them in audio form. Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content, and we will link those in the description. You can check out our video-specific content on our YouTube channel here where we do video breakdown stuff generally about once a week. You can follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh to keep posted with what we're doing over there on social media. We post a lot of clips, graphic stuff from our podcast, all of that. And you can follow us on TikTok at nerd sesh where we have started really getting into some more of that short-form content that you guys need to remain satiated. But with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. <laughs>